There's something in me that hates it when things aren't fair. I am, I am probably uh, the world's worst. If you're a cheater when you play games, you don't want to play with me. You just don't want to do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I like playing card games. I like, I, I like playing uh, board games. I, I love it. But it, it, the rules are there for a reason. Don't break them. And especially if you're playing and you want, maybe it's a team effort, you know, these two people are playing against these two people and you got two of them going, um, I'm not sure what suit it should be, but, and you're sitting there going, quit tapping the diamond, we know what suit you want. It, 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 that, that stuff goes through me. I mean, I'm such a stickler for the rules that I'll even call myself out if I find, oh, oh I did something wrong. And people are like, no, we wouldn't have noticed it. I know, but I did it wrong, and it's part of the rules. It's okay. No, it's not. It's part of the rules. I, there's something in me that just hates it when things aren't fair. Uh, maybe you're like that too, or maybe you're the person cheating going, call Diamond, call Diamond. I went to the club the other day. Stop, stop, Okay. Red is my favorite color. Yesterday it was blue. Well, it's red now. You know, really? Stop. Maybe that's you. If that's you, this message is for you. No. But, there, I, I, you know, as a father, let's take it a different step. Maybe not even in, in the area of games, but as a father, there are times where I find myself, I'll be out at the store or, or somewhere, somewhere and, and I'll be walking by and I'll go, oh, that reminds me of one of my kids. Oh, man, that reminds me of Danielle. And I want to pick it up. And then what goes through your mind? If you're a parent, you understand what goes through your mind. Well, if I get something for Danielle, then I need to get something for the other two, right? Because you want it to be fair. God forbid the little one doesn't get something. My grandmother used to do that. When it was my birthday, my sister got gifts. And when it was her birthday, I got gifts. Of course, I just look forward to my birthday and her birthday because I got gifts on both. It's, it's all right with me, but... I did, you know, am I the only one that struggles with this, with the, the whole idea of fairness? Let, let's take it out of that. And what about in the workplace when you see one employee get by with something that you could never get by with? Or maybe they get a, a pay scale that you haven't got. You've been there 14 years. He's been there a fortnight. And... You know, he already has three different raises and you're still sitting there on minimum wage and you're like, wait a minute. Or you've been there twice as long as this person has and they're an idiot, but they get promoted to middle management, right? Am I the only one that sees this kind of stuff? Surely I'm not the only one that sees this kind of stuff. You see, if we're honest, we've all felt this way in some way, shape, or form. You see 15 people blast past you on the interstate and then you get pulled over. Where were you 10 minutes ago when those people passed me like I was standing still, right? See, if we're all honest, at some point in time we've seen this and we've, we, we see and we feel this uh, injustice and unfairness and we question the validity of the individual or the group. We say, well, that's not fair, that's not right. And so we question their validity or their integrity. Well... Usually we walk away from these scenarios 
saying things like, how can that be right? That's just not fair. We see these people who seem to just simply be in the right place at the right time, and, and, and we know that we could work circles around them, but they got, the, they got the, the advancement, right? They got the better pay, but we know. We know. They're worthless, and we got the thing under control, right? And we start to look at other people and compare. Well, if we're not careful, not only do we begin to question that, but have you ever been in maybe a job situation and you started to want a, maybe want that promotion and you were praying for that promotion? But God let somebody else get it that didn't deserve it. Doesn't work half as hard as you do. Calls in sick and you know that they're not sick. They should be calling it calling in hungover, not calling in sick. They're not really sick. And you see these kind of things, and then if you're not careful, you question whether God notices or whether he even cares. Well, let's, let's take a look at the passage that's before us here in Matthew chapter 20. Stand with me, if you would, for the, out of respect for the reading of God's word. I'm going to be preaching for an hour and a half. You can stand for five minutes. It's okay. I'm kidding. Don't put your shoes on and get ready to leave. It's It's okay. Matthew chapter 20, look with me if you would, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, uh, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, pause for station identification. That penny is denarius. It was a standard day's wage. So don't, don't think this guy's, you know, Slave labor. That's not what it was. It was a standard day's pay. Verse number three. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, go ye also into the vineyard and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. And he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, why stand ye here all day idle? They say unto him, because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when he was come, when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give unto them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Now, that was a standard practice. Starting with the late comers, you'd pay them, and you work your way down to the first comers. That was a standard practice. Look at verse 9. And when they came, they were hired. Uh, they that were hired uh, about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, stop for just a minute. What a gentle reply. I don't know about you, but if I was the boss, I'd have been like, look here, bub. But he says, Friend, notice that. Friend, I do thee no wrong. 
didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that as thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Thank you. You may be seated. First, in looking at the story that is before us here, the passage that we read, a landowner sets out to hire day workers. This was, a, this was not an uncommon thing. It was, uh, uh, you, you go down, when we, were, when we lived down in uh, Florence, uh, Kentucky, I would see it uh, happen down there a whole lot more. Uh, and you'd have uh, people who would be standing out. You could pretty much guarantee you go to the Lowe's or the Home Depot at a certain time of the day, and there were some guys there hoping that one of these uh, contractors coming in to pick up their supplies that morning would hire them. You could, you could find a couple guys just by going to a couple of these places and, yep, you want some work? I got some work for you. Jump in the truck, let's go. And this was what was taking place. So you had the marketplace down there and, and this man got up early in the morning and went down to the marketplace first thing in the morning, about six o'clock in the morning. And he sees some guys that were standing around waiting, some day laborers that were standing around waiting. And he said, hey, you want some work? I've got work. And he grabbed some of them. He says, let's take you out to the vineyard. And they, he put them out in the vineyard, and they started picking, and they, they agreed for a penny or a day's wage, a standard day's wage, a denarius. But not only that, he goes out again later on uh, about the third hour, which is approximately 9 a.m. And so the workday then would have gone from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., so you've got a 12-hour workday there. And some of us groan and moan if the boss wants us to stay an eight-and-a-half-hour day. It's like, wait a second here, I, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for 40 hours a week. Why in the world am I staying an extra 15 minutes? Uh-uh. I hope I get double time and hazard pay on top of it. No, it was a 12-hour workday. So 6 a.m. would have been the first hour. 9 a.m. would have been the third hour. And so he hires more and says to them, he sees them standing there, and he says, hey, you want some work? I got some work for you. He puts them out in the field. He says, whatever's right, whatever's fair, I'll give you. He does this again later in at about uh, noon and about 3 p.m. He does the same thing. And then it says that the 11th hour, which would be 5 o'clock in the evening, he goes out and he finds more and he hires them and asks them, he says, why are you standing around? He's, they said, nobody's hired us. No one gave us any work. And so the, he, he takes him, he sends him into his vineyard and he says, Whatever he's, uh, whatever's fair, I'm going to pay you. Then when quitting time came, 6 o'clock, he calls them up to be paid, and he started with the last that showed up at, a, at uh, 5 o'clock during the 11th hour. He started with them, paid them a full day's wage for working one hour. He backs up through the rest of them, paid them all a full day's wage, even though they didn't work a full day's wage. So by the time you get down to the first guys that showed up, put yourself in their position. Everybody's standing in line to get their paycheck. And you see this guy come out, and you're the last one in line waiting for your paycheck. You've been there since 6 o'clock in the morning. You've put in 12 hours of labor. And you see this guy that only put one hour of labor in, and the guy says, here, I'm going to pay you a whole day's wage. You're standing back, and you're either steaming or getting excited. Man, he paid that guy a full day's wage. What's he going to pay us? 
we're going to get a big paid. And they're, I mean, they're elbowing each other. Oh, check it out. Man, I can't wait to get up there. This is going to be awesome. We probably got bonuses coming, company cars. This is great, man. They get up to the line, and they put their hand out, and he gives them a full day's wage, the same as he gave everybody else. Uh, hang on. You see, Jesus does a wonderful job of telling these parables that really strike a chord with us, doesn't he? And you're probably in your mind thinking the same. Now, here's what we do. We act pious, right? We act like a bunch of pious gas bags, and we sit there and go, they should have been thankful for what they got. No, come on. You and I both know if you and I were there, we, we may not have complained to the person, but we'd have gotten home, and we'd have complained to our spouse. This jerk brought me in. I should have waited until noon to go down looking for work. I should have waited till 4 or 5 o'clock. I could have gotten the same pay, worked one hour. See, we, we look at that and we go, wait a minute, not fair. But you see, Jesus is trying to teach this fairly simple story. He uses it to try to get our mind going. So let's unpack it from various different angles here and see what we can gain as far as application. Because not only is it important to see the interpretation of the passage, but we need to see the application as well. That is vital. And so as we've been going through this series of the kingdom lifestyle, we've been laying hold of some different attitudes and characteristics. And so the different attitudes, be it humility or, or, or forgiveness, these are different attitudes and characteristics that we, the children of God, those of us who claim to be born again by the Spirit of God, these are the, uh, are the attitudes that we should have and, and embody. And this is no different because he puts it right out for us. This is one of the traits today we're going to look at uh, this, this passage. We're going we're gonna to deal directly with this passage. And then at the end of it, we're going to come to our concluding kingdom lifestyle application. So first and foremost, let, let's look at the, at the precious privilege that these people enjoyed. This precious privilege, uh, the kingdom lifestyle understands that it is, number one, a privilege to be part of the kingdom of God and not a right. You see, Jesus is trying to get the people's attention that we are so wrapped up in our rights and what we deserve. Beloved, we don't deserve to be part of the kingdom of God. You and I do not deserve to be born again by the Spirit of God. You and I do not deserve the forgiveness of God. You and I do not deserve the mercies and graces of God. We don't deserve it. Being part of the kingdom is not something that we deserve. It's a privilege. I remember growing up in my, uh, in my home, growing up uh, uh, under Jerry and Sherry Lake, loving to death. One of the things that they made sure that I understood was living here is a privilege, not a right. Especially once I got too big for my britches. Yeah. And it was kind of, you know, just taking advantage and doing what I wanted to do. And the rules don't apply to me, old man. Well, the door shouldn't open for you either, young man. <laughs> I, if I came home and the doors were locked and the locks were changed and my key didn't work anymore, guess what? He had every right to do that. Because it was a privilege, not a right. And so we need to understand right at the get-go that this is a privilege 
understand this important uh, uh, concept. When this parable comes out, if, you're going, if you would notice, it comes out right uh, following the story of the rich young man. Jump back into chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto them, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into kingdom life, in, in, into life, keep the commandments. He said unto them, Which? Jesus said, well, thou shalt not do no murder, thou shalt commit adult, not commit adultery. Well, that was bad. I almost said thou shalt commit adultery. That could have caused a problem. Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, <laughs> I love the audacity. All these things have I kept from my youth up. Yeah, right. What lack I yet? Now, Jesus doesn't say, well, you're good. He says, one thing you lack. If thou wilt be perfect, go sell all that thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. You remember this portion? And come and follow me. Jesus wanted to make it abundantly clear to this young man that it had nothing to do with what you did or what you gave or any of that kind of stuff. He says, you want to be perfect? You want to have entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Follow me. I know you're willing to do all the right stuff. Well, how many times do I have to go to church in order to be good with you? Okay, how many times do I need to read my Bible in order for us to be okay? We're simpatico. I spent 30 seconds in the Word this week. You're good? Awesome. How many times do I have to pray? How much money do I need to put in the, in the offering plate? What all do, how many times do I need to volunteer? How many, we worry about all these different things, and this is what this young man was doing. I want to make sure that I cross all the T's, dot all the I's, and Jesus says it has nothing to do with you crossing the T's and dotting the I's. I want your heart. Follow me. That's what Jesus said. Simple. We get hung up on the, so does God want me to sell everything? You missed the point. Does God want me to be poor? You missed the point. Does God want me to not have nice things? Missed the point. Follow me. That's the point. That's the point. But it doesn't just stop there. Look where it kept going in verse number 22. But when the young man heard it, heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Ah, didn't want to follow Christ. Just wanted to add Christ to what he already had. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. There's that kingdom of God principle. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who can be saved? Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, I love Peter. I love Simon Peter. Because he says what all of us are thinking. Everybody looks and goes, oh, you said it again, didn't you? You were thinking it. You know you were thinking it too. Here's what he says. He says, Jesus, uh, 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 
Uh, Peter said unto him, verse 27, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we get, therefore? Do you see that? He says, well, we gave up everything. We're following you. What are we going to get out of it? Peter's the guy in the back of the line watching everybody else getting blessings going, payday's coming. And Jesus is like, oh, son. Oh, you're a ding-dong. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye shall have ye which have followed me in this uh, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit up in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve th- thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Note this. Because Peter's asking, we've given up everything, what are we getting out of it? And Jesus says, you're going to have a throne to sit on. You're going to help judge. Man, it's going to be awesome. But I love the next part when he says, and everyone that hath forsaken all and followed me. So Peter, just because you're on the ground floor of this opportunity doesn't make you better than the guy who gets in on the last day. And then he follows it up with this story. A lot of times we miss this kind of stuff. We go, oh, okay, so great. So Peter understands now that by following Jesus and giving up everything, uh, he's got a big payday coming. Jesus says, yep, and so does everybody else who does this. Everybody else who genuinely follows me. Everybody else who genuinely gives up and follows me. Back to our text at hand here in chapter 20. We misunderstand the text in, 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 because of today's terms. The men who were standing there at various hours of the day were not lazy. It says that they were idle. That does not mean lazy. It means they didn't have anything to do. The, the fact that they were there even until the very end speaks of how desperately they wanted to work. They got out there early in the morning, and here comes the landowner and hires a bunch of guys, and they're still standing there. He comes back at 9 o'clock, noon, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. These guys are still standing there. Would you have waited that long for work, hoping against hope? Somebody, please. You see, these guys needed the money. They needed this. Jesus is indicating in this parable uh, the understanding that the disciples are privileged to have been made part of the kingdom of God. Do you see, let me ask this. Do you see being part of the kingdom of God as a privilege or something that you deserve? Or maybe something that you have earned? You see, I, I, I give more than the other person. I serve more than the other person. I study my Bible more than the other person. I'm kinder and more forgiving than the other person. Is that? And so, for some reason... We now deserve it? You may say, well, I don't think that I deserve it. Do you deserve it more than somebody else? If there's somebody that you can think of that doesn't deserve it, but you're okay with having it yourself, then maybe you do feel that way. Do you see being part of the kingdom of God as a privilege? Notice the next thing with me, if you would. 
the kingdom lifestyle avoids pridefulness and covetousness. Pride and covetousness are right out the window to those who are uh, living the kingdom lifestyle. The kingdom life recognizes that there is no room for bias. God does not play favorites. His compassion, His grace is afforded to all who would receive. Don't think that, well, so-and-so is, is God's favorite and I'm just over here just scrapping up the leftovers. Beloved, <laughs> Understand something. You have the same opportunity any of us has. Do you want to have a close walk with Jesus? You don't have to be a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher to get that done. It's offered to you. Do you want to have a, a close-knit, tight fellowship and relationship? I mean, think going back to Enoch. The Bible says that he walked with God. Would you like? Well, Enoch was special. Beloved, you can walk with God today. You can walk with Him and talk with Him. When I was on sabbatical, I would take walks. And as I'm walking through this neighborhood where we were staying, I would just be talking to the Lord and, and, and I'm just kind of going down my business and Lord, this is what's going on. This is what's in my heart. This is what's in my mind. And I'm, just, I'm sure some of those people, I'd be walking around a golf course and some of those golfers probably looking over going, that guy has done lost his mind. I'm going on a walk with my God. And talk to him like I'm talking to you. You have that privilege. You have that honor. But understanding this piety that kind of comes into play, this prideful piety, if we're honest, we would admit that we have issues with this pay scale as well. I mean, if you were the first, first laborers, would you be okay with it? We got to get, we got to get this under control. I mean, one guy works for one hour and another guy works for 12 hours and both get paid full. The same pay. But I want us to understand that the pay scale really is not the heartbeat of the matter. Notice what's being mentioned here. If you look at the very beginning of it, verse number two, and when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Verse three, and he, he went out at the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, go ye into the vineyard and whatsoever is right. I'll give you. The first workers are the only ones that he really made an agreement as far as how much he was going to pay. The rest of them, he said, whatever's right, I'll give you. So he discusses it with the first, with the first workers. But everyone would just assume, just like the first workers, that there would be some kind of prorated pay. Okay, so if a denarius is equivalent to $120 for 12 hours of work, uh, it's, that breaks down to what, 10 hours, $10 an hour? And so you're thinking to yourself, okay, so the last guys should get 10 bucks because they worked an hour. The guys that worked three hours should get 30 bucks. We understand that. But God came to the Jews, catch this, God came to the Jews thousands of years earlier and made an agreement with them. He gave them a covenant that I will be your God and you will be my people. 
And what I, if you, if you follow these commandments and you do what is right, I will bless you. You do what is wrong, ain't going to get blessings. There was an agreement made. And we have to realize that these Jewish believers were used to being the chosen ones. Put yourself again there at the marketplace and all these people looking for work. And the landowner came and he grabbed certain ones. I'm going to give you the job. The rest of them had to stand around waiting. Landowner comes back and gets more workers. We'll go on out there and work. We'll go on out there and work. We'll go on out there and work. You see, these people didn't deserve it, but they were given the opportunity by God. Do you see the pride that accompanies envy? Do you see this, how, how it, it seeps in? Uh, the, this social dogma that you hear about today, all this uh, socialism that, comes, that creeps in. Beloved, <laughs> it's all envy. Those rich people have something I don't have, and it's not fair that they have something that I don't have, and I want what they have. It's the same thing we're dealing with in this passage right here. It's envy. Envy is not just jealousy. Envy is wanting what somebody else has and doesn't want them to have it if you don't have it. You see, in, in the new church, in the kingdom of God, there was going to be no room for racism, for sexism, for bias. In the family of God, there's no place for prideful pretenses. No place for it. Number three, though. The kingdom life embraces the compassion of our Lord. This kingdom life will celebrate the compassion of God. It doesn't complain about the latecomer, but stands ready to receive them and rejoice with them with open arms. That's the kingdom lifestyle. I want you to note the compassion of the landowner. Here are these guys standing at the 11th hour, 5 o'clock in the day. There's only one day or one hour of the day left to earn anything. And you, day laborers were not the wealthy ones. Day laborers were the ones that they needed that work in order to feed their family. They weren't the wealthies. And they're standing there hoping against hope, knowing little Johnny's home hungry. And I got to go home and tell my wife that I didn't get work again. What's going to happen? I can't go home with no bread for my kids. Please, somebody hire me. And here comes this landowner, and he sees these guys still standing there. Why are you here? Nobody would hire us. I'll hire you. Do you see compassion in that? Or are we still stewing over the paycheck? Do we see compassion in the fact that a kid was going to get fed that day? That the wife who is home uh, is struggling and, and stressing because the babies are crying because they're hungry? And dad's going to be able to come home having provided. All because this guy showed compassion. Look at uh, the fourth thing here. The kingdom life recognizes their undeserving state. You see, they know that they did nothing to deserve the grace and mercy of God, and, and they live a life of gratefulness for being part 
of his family. For being part of his family. In the first place, all of the workers were recipients of the graciousness of that landowner. All of them were. They were all recipients of grace. They were blessed to have been chosen. And it's evident that there were more people around. Look at how many times the landowner went back and hired more and hired more. There should be no misunderstanding this. You see, we live in such a day of entitlement that we lose sight of what's going on. Well, if so-and-so makes 10, I should make 10. If so-and-so makes 20, I should make 20. We're in such a day of entitlement that we completely lose sight of it. They didn't understand entitlement. They understood, get up early, go work, bust your knuckles, get your clothes dirty, and get it done if you want anything. That's what they understood. There should be no misunderstanding of this. These men were recipients of the grace grace and, and, and mercy of a wealthy landowner who saw their need and offered to fill it. Let's round third and start heading home here. Let me put it this way. The kingdom life, here's the application, is one of compassionate contentedness. It's not complacency, but honest gratefulness for the blessings of God. This is the kingdom lifestyle. This is what it means to be a follower of God, to be one of his children. You see, Jesus is warning about the rich man entering into the kingdom. His warning fell on deaf ears. Peter told Jesus they'd given up everything, so what are they going to get out of it? You see, Peter just admitted what was in his heart. I serve you now. What am I going to get later? we need to understand that many serve God today not out of a heart of gratitude, but out of a sense of receiving something in return. Is this your approach? Are you serving Him? Are you serving Him in the hopes of receiving something out of it? I think a lot of people are just serving because they want something. God, I prayed for this, or I, I've read a whole lot more recently. Uh, I even volunteered at the church extra hours, but I'm still in this problem. I'm still in this difficulty, uh, still struggling with this situation. I'm not rich. I'm not famous. I'm not healthy. I haven't gotten that thing that I really want. God, you're not fair. I've wanted this for so long and I see that person over there who hates you and blasphemes you and they've got it and I don't. So maybe I'll just, I'll read my Bible more if that'll make you happy so that I can get what they have. I've, I've, wanted, I've wanted this situation or I've wanted this relationship or I've wanted this child and you won't give it to me. They get it. And they don't even go to church. I go to church five times a year. Why don't I get it? I'll go six if it'll make you happier. I'll go 12 even. And we're bargaining. We're not really doing anything because of a heart of gratitude or love. 
We're doing it to get something in return. You see, the kingdom lifestyle is a life of compassionate contentedness, recognizing that all we have is because of the grace of God. Let me read to you. You can turn there if you want to, but Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this, let your conversation or your lifestyle, the word conversation means the way you live your life, let your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, catch this, and if you underline or highlight in your Bible, this next part should be underlined, highlighted, and neon lights pointing at it. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Don't let that go past you. Don't miss this. God, I've wanted this for so long, but you won't give it to me. But I gave you my son. God, I wanted to be a father for so long, but you won't let me. But I gave you my son. God, I've wanted to have a relationship and to get married for a long time, but you won't bring that person along. But I gave you my son. God, I've wanted to have a better place to live, or I've wanted to have a nicer car, but you won't let me have it. But I gave you my son. God, I wanted that advancement in the, in the, in the workplace. I wanted that promotion. I wanted that better pay, but you won't let me have it. But I gave you my son. That person who hates you, they get everything. Why can't I have anything? They don't have my son. But you do. You do. And be content with the things that you have. Because he promised to never leave you. Never forsake you. I can walk every day of my life with my Savior, the very Son of God, and He promises I'm never leaving you. I'm right there with you every moment of the day. You are mine. I don't know about you. That's enough. That's enough. Are you living a life constantly seeking more things? Or are you satisfied with an intimate relationship with God? That's the kingdom lifestyle. In the kingdom of God, (laughs) I want you to catch this and we're done. The king is the one that lifts me up when I'm down. The king is the one that is a father to the fatherless. He doesn't send somebody else to do it. The king does it. He is the best husband you could ever have. He's the best, uh, the best uh, parent that could ever be. He's the, he is the hope for those who hurt. He is the strength for those who are weak. He is the provider of eternal salvation. He is the lover of my soul. And he is my best companion even when I feel utterly alone. Horatio Spafford understood that. He understood when he lost everything, even his family. He was on the boat and the 
The captain of the ship alerted him when they got to the place where his wife and daughters went down. And on that boat, at that spot, he penned, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow will like sea billows roll, thou, I, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. He says, my sin, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not just part of it, but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. The Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. When the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. When the trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend. Even so. It's well with my soul. Is it well with your soul this morning? Or are you looking for more? The king has given you everything already. What more do you need? When Peter asks, if we've given up everything, what are we going to get? <laughs> they had Jesus. What more did they need? This morning, if you were born again by the Spirit of God, you have Jesus. What more do you need? Nothing. He's enough. I promise you, he's enough. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for seeing me as unworthy as I am and as, as undeserving as I am. You saw me Standing in the marketplace, begging for bread, just hoping for work. You saw me unable to provide for myself, and you called me and said, Come into my kingdom. It's the same call you put to everyone here today. Come to the kingdom. But Father, we are so wrapped up in the things of this world that we ignore you. Why are you not enough to us? So Father, would you forgive us for that? And collectively, Lord, as we, as we approach this uh, time of invitation, while we're singing, God, let it not be just, just words coming out of our mouth, but let it truly be our heart's prayer. Let it truly be uh, what we feel and what we, uh, what we claim as the truth of what we are and who we are. And if, it's, if we can't sing it truly and honestly, Lord, would you drive us to our knees to where we, uh, we give everything over to you. We quit the pretenses and we follow you. Because you have won. You've done it all and you are enough. Help us with it, we pray. In your name, amen.